You are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast. Well, I wrote my first story or, or article, I guess, when I was about 16, 17 years old. And as I mentioned earlier, South Australia is a very dry state and very limited freshwater fishing opportunities. So, you know, I, I was just mad, keen, crazy fisherman at that point. So any little creek, any river, any any dam, anything that held water, I would fish. And I took a few photos. Um, so I was in high school at the time and I took a few photos and I just thought, look, I'm going to write an article and send it into the local, the statewide fishing magazine, just for, you know, just just to see what happens. And I, I sent it in and I, I kind of forgot about it. And a month or two later, I got this check for $100 from a South Australian <laughs> angler. And I was too young to drive a car at the time, so, but I could drive a motorbike by myself on the road. So I, I raced up to the nearest town a half hour away, went to the news agency, got a copy of this magazine and sat on the curb and read it. And man, my my article was a feature article in this magazine and I just could not believe my luck. I, I was just absolutely over the moon. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry. We focus on guides, conservation, resort managers, gear, and talented fly tires bringing usable information to fly fishers. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate. Theflycrate.com is your source for all things fly fishing. The Fly Crate offers a monthly fly club. We select patterns every month for your home waters. With membership, you'll receive flies created to match the hatch in your area, along with the Fly Crate's guide magazine, the convenience of having flies delivered right to your door, some sweet stickers. Discover new patterns and start stocking your fly boxes now. Theflycrate.com. Here's your host, Mark Hopley. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Thank you so much for joining us this time around. We are going to head down under. We are going to head to another hemisphere for once on the program. We have got Ben Macareth, Brumby Fly Rods out of Harvey Bay, Queensland, Australia. Now, Ben, he spent a little time in North America for sure. He was a former hatchery operations manager in British Columbia. He's chasing a degree at the young age of 46 in ecology, kudos to you, man, published in Fly, <laughs> Fly Life magazine. He's been in the Drake, and we're really stoked you're on the program. Ben, thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you talking to me. Yeah, it's funny because I think you shot me an email some weeks ago and said, hey, why don't you chat with, with this, this person on the podcast? And so I reached out, and, and we're going to set that up. Um, but I, first off, I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank you for uh, reaching out and, uh, I want to know a little bit about your, your fly fishing history. So we always, we take this show kind of back, hit the rewind button, find out where did your passion, your stoke for all things fly fishing start? That's a really good question. I actually, uh, I grew up in the state of South Australia, which is often called the driest state in the driest continent. So where my love of all things freshwater and fishing and fly fishing came from, I have no idea. But um, I, I guess because it was so foreign, maybe it was that was the fascination behind it. But, um, yeah, I got, I got started in fishing at a very early age. Uh, one of my earliest memories is catching a carp off the back of a, a boat in a muddy river in South Australia. And um, I guess the... Yeah, I don't know. From that point on, I think I was just hooked. And as a young lad, I, I absolutely loved anything and everything to do with fish and fishing. And um, I kind of, as I grew up, I, I whittled, whittled away the things that didn't really interest me, like big game fishing. You need a lot of money and a lot of resources to do that. And, mm -hmm. you know, net, net fishing is kind of, you know... <laughs> I mean, frowned upon these days. It's not about the fish and catching fish and stuff like that. So um, I really found fly fishing just really intriguing and beautiful. I didn't know anyone who did it. Couldn't find any resources about it apart from the odd black and white book back in the day. And I, I just think I just think it fascinated me. So I, I just pursued it and pursued it and eventually sort of it stuck. And, yeah, I just, yeah, I can't live without it now. So <laughs> you know how it is. Yeah, oh. Do I, do I ever, um, yeah. So walk me through that learning curve. So when you started getting into it after that carp, um, 
Where did you go next? Who did you learn from? So if you had to cite some kind of influences that have, um, you know, given you um, information or whether that's YouTube or online or it's maybe somebody you learned from growing up, who would yeah. you cite as uh, influences? Yeah, uh, well, definitely my dad to begin with. He he got me into fishing and a love of outdoors and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, he, he's not a fly fisherman, not really into it, but... Um, I learned a lot from fishing books. You know, I'd go down to the local library. This is pre-internet, so I am showing my age a bit. But, um, <laughs> you know, so so we'd get some magazines and um, uh, mail-order magazines that might show a bit of fly fishing and um, some black-and-white books. But um, around, I don't know, late 80s, early 90s, I think there was a well, – we never had any fishing shows, fishing television shows in Australia much. And, uh, and this guy came out with a fishing show, and he – he showed a little bit of fly fishing on there, which only got me deeper into it. And um, at, at one point, he held a seminar down in the nearest capital city to where I lived. And uh, one of the guys who came along was a was a bloke who uh, a bloke. I'm showing my Aussiness there. A fellow who uh, who wanted to talk to the crowd about fly fishing. And one of the things he said was uh, one of his parting comments at this seminar was, if you know, if this talk has inspired only one person out of this crowd to, to you know, get into fly fishing, then I've done my job. And I ended up, I ended up writing to that guy um, a couple of years later and saying, look, you know, you really had a big influence on me. His name's Jim Allen, and he's got one of the two or three dedicated fly shops here in Australia. Um, and yeah, he actually wrote back and invited me to the shop and for a tour around and stuff, and really appreciated that I wrote to him. But um, so I, I guess there was a an early sort of television show that helped. Um, but it was just, it was just this insatiable passion that I just wanted to know more about it. And when I, when I, you know, I, I worked after school, various jobs to, to buy my first little five, six weight rod. And, um, mm -hmm. man, you know, I, I worked hard to, you know, <laughs> casting in the backyard and hitting trees and the gutter on the roof and all that sort of stuff and making all the mistakes. But, <laughs> And it took me it took me a couple of years before I caught my first fish, but I, I persisted with it. And that man, when that first fish came, it was game over. That was it. So, um, yeah, yeah. Th there wasn't a lot of resources back then like there is now. No. Um, but you know, if you want, if you're interested in it, you can find it. You know, so. It's funny you said that because I think you and I are you're a bit younger than myself, but I mean similar kind of era. And I find the same thing. It's like I had this thirst to discover fly fishing, learn all about it. And it was not easy. It, w it wasn't like you could just yeah. go on YouTube and fly. You had to go to a, a club that was usually a bunch of older gentlemen that were sitting around, you know, at the time smoking cigarettes and time flies. Yeah. And I remember yeah. being like a, a 15, 16 year old guy, like, uh, oh, what's this all about? But it's different now. There's no doubt about it. Hey, I want to take yeah. a, I want to take some time to get to know you a little bit in and around your home base. You ready for a few uh, questions about your your kind of day to day? Yeah, absolutely. All right, man. Let's talk tunes. Uh, so, if you're driving to your favorite river or still water, what is playing on the stereo? Uh, generally, if I'm not listening to a podcast, I've got right into those. Um, I'll be playing country music usually. Um, you know, that sort of mellows me out and puts me in a good mood. Um, if I need to sort of fire myself up, I might listen to something a bit heavier, Green Day or something like that, but yeah. it's generally country, yeah. Yeah. What is a smoko? A smoko. So that is, you're probably familiar with this if you do work with Aussies, but, um, it's a break that we have, uh, usually in the morning. Uh, that's, I wasn't expecting that question. I know. Usually in the morning. So, uh, during work, you'll have a smoko break. And I think the word came from, you know, a cigarette break, a smoke break, but it, now it just means like a 15 minute break where you have a drink or have a rest or whatever. What is, what is a spanner? A spanner is a wrench. So, um, it, it's funny because I lived in Canada. I, I've had people ask these questions. You know, they can hardly understand me if I use the Australian terms. But a spanner is a wrench, usually an adjustable wrench or, a, you know, a 13-mil wrench, something like that. What is a budgie smuggler? <laughs> uh, that is a... It, it's a... <laughs> It's I'm, a swimsuit. I told you it's these were going to be random questions. I'm, I'm throwing yeah. you curveballs right now. 
Yeah, well, it couldn't be more random if you tried. I think um, they are. It's a, it's a speedo essentially. You would know it as. So it's a it's a tight fitting swimsuit that a male would wear. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm so trying to get you off your game right now. <laughs> You're doing good. <laughs> One go-to fly pattern that you cannot live without. So if you are reaching in your fly box on your favorite stretch of water, what would be kind of your go-to? Mm, uh, well, up here where I live, so I'm sort of living in the subtropics, uh, I would go for a tan and white or maybe a pale pink and white clouser minnow in about a size two maybe. Right. And that'll that'll work on the saltwater flats here, but also in the sort of warm freshwater impoundments we've got here as well. Hmm. Uh, let's talk sports, Ben. Uh, are you an Aussie rules guy? Are you cricket? <laughs> are you rugby? Uh, what, where do you get your fix in sports? Yeah, I, uh, well, I grew up in an area that sort of um, idolizes Australian rules football, Aussie rules, uh, which is a really interesting game. So um, that's probably my preferred um, team sport out here in Australia. And I followed the Geelong Cats, okay. uh, which, are, which are based in the state of Victoria. Um, yeah, I kind of live in a, like the eastern states here is more of a rugby rugby league um, area, but I'm, I don't, don't follow that as much. But... You'll be pleased to know I also absolutely love hockey, NHL hockey, WHL hockey is hmm. fantastic as well. So uh, really into that as well. Is that from your time in, uh, you know, BC or is that something you just inherited down there? No, it's uh, it's from my time in BC. I didn't know a lot about it until I sort of got a corporate box at a Canucks game and man, that was something else. So hmm. yeah, <laughs> fell in love with the sport there as well. So. If you had to think about all your time spent on the water, whether it's building rods, tying flies, spending time doing what you love to do, what's your biggest takeaway in when it comes to fly fishing? Um, gee, it's it's probably a couple of things. Like one is, uh, and actually, you mentioned this. One of your guests mentioned this on a previous podcast. But um, slow down or chill. Um, it's really a strange idea but you've kind of got to slow down to be successful in fly fishing and when you when you have a busy life and you you're working um you know we've been instilled in us that we have to work harder and faster to get results and i think fly fishing is the opposite you've got to really slow down to get results mm. and tread carefully and um um yeah i think i think that's probably the biggest takeaway that i've got from it yeah um I get that. You know, it's, it, it's, and I think that's part of the attraction to it because you, you kind of forced, you're forced to slow down and, and sort of take stock of your surroundings and tread carefully and, and, you know, it's to get success. And it's, it's sort of opposed to what, how we live our lives um, elsewhere, you know? It's kind of, for me, it's like an essential thing. Like, it's like, you know, you, you do your day job, you're all in, you're, you're working your butt off, then you get home and you're doing the social media thing, you're on your phone, and it's just like, it, yeah. never, it never stops, right? So, no. <laughs> for me, it stops when I hit the water. I mean, the phone's yeah. not going in there, and it's not turned on, and, and there's, something, there's something powerful in that. Absolutely, yeah, Absolutely. Where is your favorite place to talk fly fishing? So is there a fly shop, maybe like Jim Allen's place? Is there a coffee shop? Is there a watering hole near you? Where do you get your fix when you're not fishing? Um, usually, like, we've got a, we don't have a fly shop anywhere near me. In fact, there might not be a fly shop in a shop in the state of Queensland, actually. But we do have a local um, fishing store that has an aisle dedicated to fly fishing. And I talk to some of the guys down there sometimes um, when I go there to get supplies. But generally, um, generally I talk fly fishing on the phone. Uh, so I've got a, a cousin and a good friend down in South Australia who I like to go fishing with a couple of times a year. And um, either that or it's my father-in-law out in Canada. And we sort of, yeah, we could, like we're doing today, we could just talk for hours about mm. Uh, all things to do with fly fishing. So it's generally generally on the phone that I do it these days. Fill in the blank for me. When I'm not fly fishing, I'm usually doing what? <laughs> oh, it could be anything. Um, it's it's being a dad. Uh, I've got a little four-year-old daughter who's amazing. Cool. Um, 
it's working or, or it's studying. So when you, yeah, when you, I mean, anybody who's a parent and works and or studies knows that time management is critical. So when I'm not fly fishing, I, you know, I want to be, put 110% into being a dad or 110% into my study or 110% into work. So when I'm, when I'm doing those things, I want to, I want to do them well and not sort of, not sort of be thinking about other things and, and sort of diluting that. So, um, there's, yeah, there's plenty, plenty to keep me busy. That's for sure. You strike me as a guy that's life is pretty full. I mean, if you've got a full-time job, you're, you're pursuing a, a degree, uh, you know, in, in ecology, you're, you're full-time dad. Yeah, it's not, yeah. Where's the time to hit the water? That must be getting a little limited. <laughs> it, it does. And while, while I'm doing my degree, I kind of, during semesters, I kind of have to have to put a mental wall in there to say, well, you know, you're not really concentrating on fishing for the next 13 weeks. Um, so I'm not kind of, not kind of taken away from that, but, um, but certainly if there is, you know, I might have a day where I'm not working or studies quiet or whatever, and I'll, I'll nick off in the, in the boat or the canoe and do, you know, go fishing for a couple of hours. So you just kind of, you just make use of the time that you've got. And it's not always a long time, but you, you make it work, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do. Um, best job you've ever had. Are you doing it now? Mm. Is it something you've done in the past, or is it something you're maybe going to do in the future? Like, if what's your best? Mm. What's your best job? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think, um, I think previous uh, previously I've, I've worked as a, a hatchery manager in in Canada, and we raised coho and chum salmon, and that was actually a volunteer position. I was working in construction while I was doing that as well. But uh, I'd say that position. Um, where we were raising raising salmon was by far the most inspirational and most fun job, I guess, quote unquote, that I've had. And that's kind of what inspired me to get a degree in ecology. I really, really enjoyed that. And um, I know that I know that hatcheries have good and bad points. There's a lot of controversy about them, particularly in the States, but these little community run hatcheries as an education facility for young people or for old people like me, uh, it's just phenomenal. And, um, you know, it's it's led me to better things, and you know, I, I hope that this degree leads me into some sort of, um, you know, some sort of outdoor position where I can work with fish, um, whether it be in Canada with salmon again, or here in Australia doing something that you know that's what I'm kind of hoping for. So, mm. hopefully, hopefully that answers your question. We're chatting today with Ben Macarath. Now, Ben is out of uh, Queensland, Australia out of uh, Harvey Bay. Talk to me, Ben, about Brumby Fly Rods. What is uh, what's Brumby Fly Rods all about? Uh, Brumby Fly Rods is, uh, I wouldn't call it a company. It's a sideline, I suppose, that I started when I was living out in Canada, uh, probably around 2008, 2009, something like that. And, uh, yeah, we were, my wife and I were living in a little basement and I had the hatchery thing going on and, uh, a lot of fly fishing opportunities there, but I, I think, I think I just, I can't remember why I started that, but it was probably because I felt like I needed a new fly rod. When don't we need a new fly rod? We That's always do. But, true. Uh, true. Um, and I just, I mean, I couldn't justify at the time, you know, seven hundred dollars for a for a new, you know, rocket rod. So I, I think I just sort of decided to teach myself how to build them, and um, I built myself. I think the first one I might have done, or the first couple I did, was was for my father and for my father-in-law, and then I built myself a ten foot eight weight three-piece rod, which is a really awkward size, but almost perfect for single-handed steelheading, which I really, really love that rod. Mm. Um, and then once I sort of had two or three under my belt, I, I decided to advertise and I set up a little bit of a website. It's a pretty simple one. And uh, started getting a few sales uh, out there in Canada and built quite a few in the end. And I just, I love tinkering and I love building things and learning about new things. So it just, yeah, I just really enjoyed the process. Sure. Um, yeah, it, I haven't done it much out here. It, the, the fly fishing scene in Queensland here isn't as big as it was in Canada and maybe in other parts of Australia. So it slowed down a little bit. And I probably wouldn't have time for it right now anyway, but... Maybe, um, maybe you're just ahead of the curve. 
Maybe, maybe. Yeah, it's a good way to think of it. <laughs> I like, I like it when you said, "I basically live in a desert. There's no water, so I, I, I yeah, want to fly fish." Right. Yeah, yeah, it's a kind of an odd thing, but maybe I like to do things the hard way. You know what's funny, Ben, is you were not the first person I've had on this show that said exactly that. I had somebody on in Arizona, and I forget where the other yeah. location was, but it's like I'm just drawn to all things water. Oh, it was Chile. It was a Chilean gentleman that. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I, I get that. It's it's uh it's a foreign world, but um, I don't know about you, but every time I drive by any little small body of water, any puddle, pond, creek, river, I'm like, ah, I wonder what's in there. Oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, I I can't count how many times I've probably nearly created a pileup because I've stopped on a bridge just gazing at the river. We've all done it, so. Oh yeah. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about your your essays. So I know you've, um, I mean, you're published in in Fly Life magazine, and and the Drake that is no small feat in itself. So obviously you do a little bit of writing. Um, yeah. Talk to me about that. Um, what does that bring to your world? Um, well, I began writing. Uh, well, I wrote my first story or or article, I guess, when I was about sixteen, seventeen years old. And as I mentioned earlier, South Australia is a very dry state and very limited freshwater fishing opportunities. So, you know, I, I was just mad, cream, crazy fisherman at that point. So any little creek, any river, any any dam, anything that held water, I would fish. And I took a few photos. Um, so I was in high school at the time and I took a few photos and I just thought, look, I'm going to write an article and send it into the local, the statewide fishing magazine. Mm-hmm. just for you know just just to see what happens and I, I sent it in and I, I kind of forgot about it and a month or two later I got this check for a hundred dollars from <laughs> South Australian angler and I was too young to drive a car at the time so but I could drive a motorbike by myself on the road so I, I raced up to the nearest town a half hour away went to the news agency got a copy of this magazine and sat on the curb and read it and man my my article was a feature article in this magazine and I just could not believe my luck. I, I was just absolutely over the moon. So, um, and I, and I think, you know, I, I knew nothing back then. I'm, I'm amazed that thing got published, but I think because South Australia was so starved of freshwater content that they just grabbed it. Hmm. I um, also, also think too, you're, I, you're probably coming at it from a fresh, you know what I mean? When, when you're an editor and you get article upon article or, or, you know, uh, like a, I forget the term for it, but basically a, a proposition to write an article saying, hey, I want to do something on this. A lot of the perspectives are probably similar. But I would imagine a 16-year-old living in, you know, a dry part of the world talking fly fishing. Maybe you're coming at it from a different angle and they kind of enjoyed that. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it could have, it could have been. Um, but there was something about it that they liked, and I, I liked that they liked it. It was, you know, it was a real kick. Hmm. Um for, for a young kid to have that. But I, I kind of feel like I felt like at that point that I kind of fluked that and I didn't write for a long time after. Um, I always had it in the back of my mind that I could write and I wanted to do it again, but I was really reluctant to do how to where to pieces because I just felt like there were so many more experts in the world than I am, than I was about fly patterns, about, you know, uh, temperature barometer, whatever it might be. So I was really, I didn't want to, put anything out there that look made me look like an expert when I wasn't you know I, di- I don't think that's fair to the readers so right. I kind of gave it a couple of decades and then I, actually a big turning point is when I went to Canada and then I discovered um man there's these magazines that are like the fly fish journal the drake um I discovered John Gearak's writings and I just thought wow that here's some here's some content that isn't actually how to where to it's it's stories and I fell in love with every single one of them. Uh, I just love the stories. So most of what I write now, and I, so that got me back into writing again. I, I realized that I could actually write essays, write fishing stories about all the good things, all the bad things, the rocks you trip over, the, the things that go wrong. Um, you know, you could you could get that content published and, and that's kind of where it kicked in again for me. So I, yeah, I, I write uh, an 800 word essay every couple of issues for Fly Life magazine here in, um, here in Australia. And that, you know, they're kind enough to publish them when I send them in. And, uh, as you mentioned, I've got a couple of, uh, uh, basically a report, an environmental report I did for the Drake magazine and an essay that I got published. And 
I've got a couple of other pieces out there. One one's being considered by the Flyfish Journal at the moment. So it's it's just I mean I enjoy writing as much as I enjoy I enjoy writing about fishing as much as I enjoy fishing itself. So yeah, it's it's a lot of fun to do that. Yeah, that's a that's a great way to bring the the pastime kind of full circle. I think mm. you know. Absolutely. Do you yeah. do you do a lot of um, fly tying in your spare time? It's funny, like. I really, as I mentioned earlier, I really love tinkering and I love building things and learning things, but I got into fly tying quite late and um, I do tie now, but I've only been doing it for a couple of years. Um, like I've, I've built um, rods previously and, and sort of currently, as you know, um, but I never really got into fly tying as much because of, you know, fly tying materials are difficult to get here and I always like to buy locally if I can. Um, rather than on the internet or, you know, get buy some sort of un, unseen product that you don't, you don't really think is that good or, or whatever. So, sure. um, but yeah, my, my father-in-law, uh, he's right into fly tying, uh, steelhead and salmon flies. And he, he bought me a fly tying kit a couple of years ago and that was all the impetus I needed to, <laughs> to get going. And, and now I'm, yeah, I, I, I make pretty simple patterns. I'm not good at the, small stuff and the stuff that requires a lot of materials, but clouds and minnows, woolly buggers, you name it, you know, I'll, I'll have a crack at it and, and they catch fish, which is the main thing. I got a real stupid question for you. Is there such a so, thing as steelhead in Australia? Uh, there isn't, uh, we don't have steelhead. We have rainbow trout, which originally came from California a long, long, long time ago, mm-hmm. and some say it was from steelhead stock. I don't know if that's true or not, but we don't really have any any sort of habitat to support anadromous fish. Right. Um, Is that because the, the water's just too warm? I mean, like, I mean, we all know that uh, you know steelhead need cool water. I see it in the river, but I mean, I, is the ocean temperature just too warm in your neck of the woods? It may be. I mean, the, the southern states get sort of the Antarctic currents coming through, and that that ocean can be quite cool. But the rivers, we don't have, you know, the big, the big cold rivers that you see in North America or New Zealand, um, I guess, right? Yeah, or New Zealand, and and New Zealand actually has um, they have a pretty famous run of rainbow trout, which are essentially steelhead, kind of like Great Lakes steelhead, I suppose, because they. Mm-hmm. They run into um, the Tongariro River on the North Island of New Zealand, but they spend their time feeding in Lake Taupo. Uh, and there's a big, you know, it's probably, besides maybe Patagonia, it's probably one of the biggest, most popular um, uh, fish runs in the Southern Hemisphere. So New Zealand's more suited to a steelhead type population than Australia, for sure. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, I'm, I have buddies from Australia that I see online catching species. I've never even, I don't know what the heck they are. So why don't you walk us through your typical fishing season? What species are you targeting in in your area? Yeah, well up here, see it's summer here, uh, as as opposed to what you guys are experiencing at the moment. You're probably in six feet of snow at the moment, I'm guessing. Uh, (laughs) Not quite, but maybe six centimeters. Yeah, right. yeah, it's summer here, so the water's quite warm around here, and I live fairly close to the beach, so we do have flat species, um, mainly golden trevally, which are a, nice. a, a relative of the GT, I suppose, and that sort of family of fish. Um, they'll come up on the flats. Um, there's pelagic fish as well out in the bay, so you'll get your mackerel tuna, Spanish mackerel, uh, uh, northern bluefin or longtail tuna as well, which which are fairly, you know, I, I've been chasing those guys on fly for a while, but man, they, they are hard to approach and get a fly out to, but people do it. Um, and, uh, we actually have a really unique run of, um, juvenile black marlin on the flats, uh, wow. off, on an Island just out of here, which is a really popular species to fly fish for. But hmm. my, I haven't been up and had a crack at those because my, my poor little boat, it's too far for it to go safely. So, but that's, that's on my bucket list as well. Juvenile uh, marlin, you you really I kind of did a double take there. That sounds like fun. Yeah, yeah, it's um you could probably Google it and and there's probably YouTube videos, but um there's a there's an island just off the coast here, 
called Fraser Island, and it's the world's largest sand island. Um, but it creates a huge amount of flats up on the northern tip of it. And these juvenile marlin come in at certain times of year, and they get targeted by people trolling and by fly fishers. And it's a pretty remarkable little fishery, um, by all accounts. I, I, as I said, I haven't fished it, but um, it's yeah, pretty pretty unique and interesting. So Ben, if if you had to pick your day, like your perfect day, just dialed in how you love it. What does that look like? Where are you fishing? What what kind of species are you chasing? Paint us a little picture about what that that would look like. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I I mean, despite the fact I live kind of in the tropics, um, uh, if I was to fish around here, I actually really love the freshwater fishing. We've got a a little lake out the road where we have native Australian bass and barramundi, which are arguably, Mm. you know, the best sport fish on fly. They're fantastic. Um, So, yeah, I'll I'll get up in the morning, grab a coffee, try and get out there by, you know, by 6 a.m. before the wind starts up. And I've got a little canoe that I built. So I'll go out there and I'll um, have a go. I'll uh, cast into the into the dead wood and stuff with little clouds and minnows or there's a little um, locally made pattern called a bass vampire which is a great little pattern for bass um, and I'll have a go at those uh, and then I'll, I'll sort of um, cast around the lily pads for for barramundi as well um, and every now and then you you hit that and barramundi uh, would probably be the Australian subtropical equivalent of steelhead I suppose that's that's how sort of um, how they're viewed here. They're they're pretty pretty iconic species. So I'd get get onto a few of those, and then um, probably by mid morning I'd I'd pack it in because the wind comes up and my little canoe gets a bit hard to handle. So I'd head back. But but having said that, I I really really um, my passion is for cold water species, and we have we do have some trout waters here in Australia, but you have to travel a fair way for it. So um, I also love the little freestone streams and little alpine mountain streams with a little fiberglass three-weight just as much as any fishing we can do around here as well yeah it's all relative isn't it you know like yeah whether you're fishing for gts or you're fishing for you know six inch trout on a small stream it's it's funny how you can still get satisfaction out of both oh absolutely Uh, absolutely yeah yeah it it doesn't matter i mean you just uh i mean i've never i've never been a big fish guy in that i mean i always love big fish if they're around obviously but i've never you know i wouldn't travel the world just to get big fish i'm i'm happy i'm just as happy catching eight inch brook trout on a lake that i've had to you know climb a mountain for two hours for you know and and yeah man there's so much satisfaction in that so so it doesn't really matter you know as long as you're casting to something what's in your glass at the end of the day Oh, well, we are big beer drinkers here in Australia, so I <laughs> I really enjoy uh, mainly a lager, so something something from the tap is always good, but um, a light lager. If I was in Canada, I'd drink Sleeman Honey, Honey Brown. I really like those. Uh, yeah. in, uh, out here, we drink, um, uh, there's a beer called Great Northern, which is just a really easy to drink beer on a on a hot day and it's always hot so yeah um, that's that's probably my preferred uh drink of choice either that or coffee in the mornings of course <laughs> yeah you need well you, you need both right you need to wake up if you're on the water at 6 a.m you better have some coffee going absolutely actually i was just reading um one of john Gierak's stories and he he had a great idea he was saying that when he finishes a day of fishing before he has a beer he has a coffee so he doesn't fall asleep after his beer and i thought that was a great idea it's kind of like the Red Bull idea, maybe. Eh? I don't Absolutely, know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is there anything about this pastime of fly fishing you think we could do a little better? Or is there anything that kind of, you know, if you're on social media or you're thinking about fly fishing in general, is there anything that kind of irks you that you see out there? Um, the only thing I, that probably irks me is um, on fishing shows um some are better than others but um i understand why they do it because they've got to get viewers but there's a lot of holding the fish out of the water for a long time while people are talking to the camera and that really really makes my blood boil i i mean you can take you can take we can get an idea of what the fish looks like in the water you know so um 
and I mean, you know, I, I am a bit of a hypocrite. You, you look at my Instagram and I'm holding fish out of the water as well. So, um, back in the, back in the days before I knew any better, I suppose. But, um, I just, you know, there's a, there's this big keep fish wet movement and, um, mm -hmm. you know, they, you know, the scientists behind it, actually at the hatchery, um, a scientist, a fishery scientist told me that, you know, if you're keeping a fish out of water for more than 30 seconds, you're doing damage to its gills. So as a rule, I won't keep a fish out of water for longer than that, you know, and that, I mean, that's, that's yeah. long enough. So. Well, think about so it, that Thir that 30 seconds, me. that's a long time. Like I, Absolutely. I, I yeah. feel guilty yeah. the second they come out of the water. 30 seconds, it's like if you can't get a picture in 30 seconds, maybe you should re reconsider what the heck you're doing. Yeah, that, that's right. And I think I think we're all getting better at that. Like we're yeah. all we're yeah. all guilty of it. And you know, we've 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 done mm. I've done bad fish handling practices in the past, but you learn as you go. So Oh, I got slammed. I got yeah, trust me. <laughs> I got schooled. <laughs> I got schooled a couple times. But like you oh, said, yeah. it, you learn and and uh I guess yeah. as long as that person that's commenting is coming from a good place and they're not just trying to be an online bully, I, I don't have an issue with it. Um, and I get Absolutely. It, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The, the only other... Oh, sorry. No, no, you go. Oh, I was going to say, the only other thing that I think that probably um, could be maybe improved on in fly fishing, I worry that, um, you know, years ago, fly fishing used to be a sport of the elite and um you know the tweed vest and the smoking pipe and all that sort of stuff um and i i love that it's available to the everyday person now as it should be i just hope that you know if you if a young kid picks up a glossy magazine they're going to see 700 dollar waders and thousand dollar rods and all that and i just i i wish there was a little bit more advertising for for the for the beginner packs for the low-end models yeah so that kids didn't get put off mm -hmm. of the sport thinking that they had to spend two or three grand just to get into it because that's not the case. It's coming. So um, it's coming. Yeah. Um, I I just I really yeah I, I don't want people new to the sport getting put off by all the glitz and glamour you know of all the high end stuff. I just wish uh, you know I wish there was more um, entry yeah. level stuff advertised so that people could you know get in and enjoy it and then work towards that. I guess. Hey man, that's uh, I yeah. that's something that's always bothered me too. And honestly, I mean, I don't know what it's like, you know, in Australia or New Zealand, but I would say in North America, there's been a big movement in the last maybe five, six years to kind of under $300 rods like that, say, you know, mm -hmm. I don't know, 100 to $300. And you can get a pretty darn good rod in that price range now, whereas you know, there's a lot of rods that are 1200 bucks and that's, let's face it, that's yeah. not where, you know, an, an 18 year old kid is probably going to be looking to spend money most of the time. And I, I agree with you a hundred percent. We just need, it's a, I find it's a double-edged sword. We want to grow the sport. We want to get people into it. We want to get all those people outdoors, but it's almost counterintuitive yeah. because it's like, Hey, uh, I'm not the only person here today. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. um, no, that's right. It, it's, a, it's I look. I, I go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, I was going to say it's a fine balance because I struggle with that on the show. You have no idea how much editing I do to take out spots. Like someone will tell me yeah. a spot, I'm like, yeah, well, I'm not saying that because yeah, yeah. Tomorrow there'll be twelve people there, or maybe that's maybe, maybe right. only that's one. Right. Depends how many people are listening. Yeah. But you know what I mean. It's like you throw it out there. It's there forever. Uh, mm. It's not like. Back in the day, when you think when you were younger, you had to go find that spot on your own, and you had to discover it. You had to put lots of time in. Now, somebody yep. sees a picture on Instagram, they're like, "Oh, wait a minute, I know where that is." Yeah, yeah. Look, I I think I, I think part of the big appeal of fly fishing is nutting out all those little areas for yourself as well. So it, it is easy to to try and get an easy easy way easy path to like good fishing holes and as you said, people like to keep them guarded and you don't, you don't want to, you don't want to advertise it too much, but man, I, I get just as much enjoyment out of finding a new place on my own as I do having someone tell me about it. You know, it's not about going in and catching a dozen 20 inch trout. It's, you know, you might, you might spend two or three days finding a perfect hole on a river or a corner of a lake. And uh, it's so much more gratifying, you know, doing those hard yards yourself, I think. So I, I yeah. hope that, people don't miss that aspect of it because you know 
getting in and exploring is is part of the appeal. A hundred percent. It's like a scavenger hunt. You have like so. What I used to do is. We didn't have Google Earth and GPS and all this crap. We we had a map, and it was a it was a crappy map. But um, yeah. I remember my parents bought a house back in the seventies, and and it had and the fellow that lived in the house was a big fi- fly fisherman, and he he'd circle lakes and he'd say ten pounders, five pounders, and that was yeah, what yeah. that was what I followed for years. So I'd go there, and granted, you know, it was a few years later, the fish maybe weren't as big, but it was like. I've been to so many lakes with stupid wheelbarrows trying to like, like hike over deadfalls for nothing, for no, yeah. no, no fish. Winter killed, or it's like, no, this isn't real. But you know what? That that search for the holy grail to me is probably ninety percent of why I do what I do. I just want to find somewhere because it, it shouldn't be easy. If it's easy, what's yeah. it, you know, it's boring. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, I just uh, I had a flashback there. Sorry, I got the blood going. I got to chill out. <laughs> no um, worries. Um, yeah. So, um, talk to me about what's coming down the pipe for you this year. Are you? I mean, with COVID and whatnot, what? How's Australia dealing with all this? Are you guys able to travel? Are you kind of in a, you know, tied to your neighborhood? What does that look like right now? Yeah, it's it's. Um... We've actually done pretty well with COVID down here. Um, however, the, the the states have been very um, like the the Australian states. They regulate it differently uh, rather than federally, and it it varies state to state. But generally, if there's a COVID hotspot that breaks out, they're onto it really really quickly, and and they'll shut borders like state borders very very quickly to contain it. So we haven't had the big outbreaks that you've seen in Europe and and the states. Um, the, the the politicians dare I say it have done a pretty good job of um of keeping us all safe but but there are there have been border closures I actually snuck off to New South Wales which is the state south of uh, where I live yeah um in early January to do a bit of fishing in the in the snowy mountains for trout and uh, but man I had to check the I had to check the regulations and the news every morning because at any point, um, if a COVID hotspot broke out, they would they would close the borders and sort of give us 12 hours notice, which I'd have to right. hightail it back to the back to my own state. But mm-hmm. but having said that, you know the state of Queensland is bigger than Alaska and it's got plenty of coastline and wow. So it's not, it's not the worst thing in the world to be stuck here either. So. Well, and I think that's we forget these things, right? I mean, Australia is a big place. There's a lot of space and. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like a lot of good fishing. It's uh, it's it's nice. As I said, I think at the be- beginning of the show, you're the first person I've had on from from Australia, and uh, got a lot of buddies in in your neck of the woods. And I um, always always love catching up. All things Aussie. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, I, I you know you'll you'll laugh. I went ice fishing uh, last week, and and we brought Tim Tams. <laughs> Did you? Did, yeah. Well, Good Tim, old Tim that yeah, to you, some, that's it, probably not a big deal, but it's not like those are everywhere here. Yeah, no, no, I understand. I actually, um, uh, when I was at the hatchery in Canada, I worked with a couple of Aussies over there, and and when I come back, they they have a a list of requests they that they want me to bring, and you know, it might be Vegemite, Tim Tams, you know, various other things that are sort of uniquely Australian. So, yeah, it's um, it's it's. One of one of our best exports, the Tim Tams, though, especially on a especially on a cold ice fishing lake, man, that'd give you a little bit of energy. That'd be good. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, hey, I, I want to thank you for coming on the show today. I, I've really enjoyed it. Is there anything we haven't covered that maybe we should? Is there anything on your mind uh, coming up in the next little bit? Um, nothing much. I'm uh, yeah, I'm about to start a new semester of study, so things are going to go a bit quiet on the fishing front for me, but. Um, not a lot, you know, we're all, you know, like the rest of the world, we're waiting for COVID restrictions to ease so that, uh, we can maybe, maybe travel and go back to Canada and, uh, visit friends and family and maybe do a bit of fishing out there, but we'll have to wait and see what happens there. So, but yeah, I mean, I could, I could talk fly fishing for the next 12 hours, but (laughs) I know you, (laughs) we're we're on a schedule, but let's do it. No, no, no. We got 12, we can do a 12 hour (laughs) podcast. This will be the first 12 hour one. (laughs) <laughs> that'd be fantastic you're gonna use up all my data um yeah that's i like it um i'm just trying to think if there's anything uh 
what's the end game for you with the school? Like, I know, obviously, you want to be outdoors and and it sounds like you want to be around the water but like do you have an idea of the end game it 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 all depends um really whether like my wife and i stay here or we move to another part of australia or back to canada um that's gonna that's gonna depend on sort of where i where i point point my career but um i look if i could get a role somewhere in some sort of freshwater fisheries or habitat management for freshwater fisheries. Cause part of the, part of the thing I really love is, um, you know, fish need a place to live. So if we can look after the lakes and the rivers where they live, um, you know, the rest can kind of take care of itself more or less. So, uh, I'd really like to get into habitat management. I, uh, the reason I'm doing this study is, as I said, I've got a young daughter and I, I kind of want to, you know, it, I want her to fulfill her dreams and I want to lead by example. So, mm. you know, if, you know, I, I don't want to kind of keep kicking around with jobs that um, don't necessarily inspire me as much as they could. So I, you know, I want, I want her dad to be happy and, and do what he loves and where that leads. I have no idea yet, but hopefully something good. We'll, we'll see within the next year or two. Without giving away any secret spots as somebody that's fished, you know, all over the globe, Where's the best fishing location that that, that you've been? Oh, um, look, I would have to say, um, as far as uh, look, I two things sort of come to mind. One's the salmon fishing on the west coast of British Columbia. Um, you know, when when you, I got my 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 backside handed to me when I first started fishing for chum salmon, and man. You know they are an underrated species. So, oh yeah. Um, oh man, I like you know, steelhead, any any species of salmon, that's fantastic. And you know the BC in Alaska's got a really good reputation for that. But the other place down here, I mean, is New Zealand. That's the obvious one. Uh, New Zealand is the trout mecca. I reckon you you've you've got you've got this land that's absolutely perfectly built for trout so um when they were introduced they just took over and and i actually just finished writing an essay i've just submitted it but one of the, one of the things i wrote was you know it seems like there's like the trout are born from a five pound egg and then just keep growing from there so <laughs> you go down on some of those those rivers and it, it really like there's there doesn't seem to be any small trout in new zealand and there's no bears there's no snakes it's so safe and there's just miles and miles of public water so um yeah that that's a place that um i can't wait to get back to and um if anybody who's interested in trout fishing um who's listening to this podcast hasn't visited new zealand you need to go it's it's amazing five pound egg (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, obviously I, that's an exaggeration, but uh, I know what you, you mean. Get the, you get the idea. I know what you mean, though. There, and there are certain yeah. bodies of water that I know I frequent that it's like, where are the little fish? Like they're all, you know, they're all. Um, yeah. And it's not like they're stocking them, or or they don't come like you say out of the egg at five pounds. But it's bizarre that you just catch the bigger ones. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite amazing. Yeah. If if you had to pick your favorite source. And this this might be a tough question for you because I know you write for various publications. But what's your go-to source for fly fishing news? Um, gee, uh, the the probably the two that I, I like for as far as information is concerned and, and bettering yourself as a as a fly angler, I'd have to say uh, the new fly fisher. Um, I watch their YouTube channel. They've always got really really good helpful content on. And um, and Fly Fusion magazine I subscribe to, and that's that's out of Canada as well. So they've got some great articles as well. So yeah, um, yeah they're probably. I mean, I, I watch a lot of other stuff that's mainly stories. Um, but as far as gaining information, they they'd be the two that I regularly visit. I, I guess yeah. Yeah, good stuff. There's so many sources now. It amazes me how. Uh, the technology has evolved so much with our cameras and our iPhones and our, you know, GoPros yeah. that basically Absolutely. John down the street can put something on YouTube that's as good as any fly fishing show on TV if he puts the yeah. time, if he puts the time in 
or is yeah, she... that's right. I mean, we, we've all got professional cameras, and and you know, pretty much all our iPads, iPhones, laptops have editing software that we can just do what we want and put it out there. So yeah. you're right. If you've got the time and the inclination to do so, you can you can put some great content up. Ben, thanks for taking the time. Before we let you go, throw out your Instagram handle or any social media that if uh, somebody wants to follow along some of these species you're chasing in Queensland, Australia, uh, where do we find? Yeah, yeah. Where do we find you? It's uh, well, you can go to my website at brombyflyrods.com. Um, again, it's a bit of a dated website, but if you want to send me a message through there, you can. Um, you can email me at brumbyflyrods at hotmail.com. So B-R-U-M-B-Y flyrods at hotmail.com. Or on Instagram, I, it's just my name, I think. It's just maybe backwards. Macarath Ben yep. is uh, at Macarath Ben is my, is my um, Instagram. So, yeah, there'll be a few photos up there that I post from time to time. So I'd love to, love to connect with people if they want to do so. Good stuff. Thanks again for doing this, my friend. We'll, we're gonna we're gonna catch up again and find out what you're doing after you uh, get all this schooling done, and and maybe you can yeah, dial us in on some fishing trips. That would be great. I would love to do so. You've been listening tonight to a chat with Ben Macarath. Now Ben is with Brumby Fly Rods out of Harvey Bay, Queensland, Australia. Former hatchery operations manager in the province of British Columbia pursuing a degree in ecology, and he's had articles in Fly Life magazine and The Drake. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines, and we'll see you on the water. Thank you.